Hello? Hello and welcome to the Disney Vault cast, a show that examines every single movie in the Disney Vault. This week we're taking a bus ride because we're talking about the 1998 film Halloween Town. Oh, being normal is vastly overrated. And with me this week is probably the biggest fan of Halloween in general, I know. I mean, I I am a big fan of Halloween, but I feel like no one I know compared to you. So I want to introduce yourself. Okay, well, hi, my name's Derek. I am obsessed with all things spooky and scary, Halloween, horror movies, decoms, specifically spooky decoms. So yeah, I'm here to talk about Halloween Town and I'm pretty freaking excited. Yeah, how, I mean, this is the, well, this is part of our October Halloween spooktacular. And this is actually the first uh, DCOM we've talked about on the show. Um, you know, Disney Channel original movies, aka DCOMs. They are very influential pieces of media from both of our childhoods. And for me, especially, the Halloween DCOMs are like unmatched. And this is They're obviously top like... tier, top tier DCOMs to me are the spooky ones. Yeah, this is like the quintessential Halloween decom. Like, obviously, like, you know, you know, people, you know, like under wraps and twitches and girl versus monster. But when you think of Halloween decoms, you think of Halloween Town. It is definitely the most influential and the most popular one. I feel like you there are people who don't really watch Disney Channel who have seen Halloween Town via like Freeform, things like that. It's just I feel like in terms of pop culture, it's like one of the more successful Disney Channel movies. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, it's not something like I feel like Disney ever really capitalized on because you don't see like merch like you see for other DCOMs, like, you know, like the Cheetah Girls or High School Musical. But like when it comes to Halloween, like they go all in like on Halloween Town. Could you imagine Halloween Town merch just like the Cheetah Girls merch you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, that sounds amazing. I would buy all of it. Yeah, I mean, I really do feel, I mean, I know Halloween Town is like basically a real location, but I feel like also Halloween Town would be like a perfect like area at like a Disney park or something. But, you know, they don't really do much with their Disney Channel properties in the parks. Sadly. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, you, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, but why did you pick Halloween Town to talk about? I think Halloween Town is a very important movie to me because it came out when I was three years old and I did watch it when I was three years old and I never stopped. Like, honest to God, I never stopped watching it. Not even just every Halloween, but like throughout the year, it's always been my favorite Disney Channel movie and Disney Channel movies in general are very, very important to me because... Every night after we ate dinner at like 5 p.m. or something, my mom would bring me up to her room. We would do my reading. I would practice learning how to read. And then when I finished my reading homework, we would watch whatever Disney Channel movie premiered that night at like 8 p.m. or something. And I was always the most excited when it was Halloween Town. It just made me feel like there really was this, you know, magical place somewhere. Felt very real to little childhood me. Felt very you know, atmospheric. And it just felt like there was something different in the air when I watched Halloween Town. Like, it was just so magical. I was convinced that I had powers. Like, I really thought I was going to be the next little Cromwell um, warlock or whatever, since I wasn't a female. So I guess I couldn't be a cool witch. And yeah, like, my mom loves Halloween Town. I love Halloween Town. All my friends loved Halloween Town. It's just like easily my favorite. Everything about it, the characters, the storyline, the music, the costumes, the vibes. It's just, it's like genuinely perfection. And now as an adult, it's kind of my comfort movie. I just watch it all the time and it makes me feel like a little kid again. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I admit I haven't watched Disney Channel in quite some time, at least not regularly, but I definitely like I mean, we're like, we're of similar ages, very close in age. And like, it definitely felt like, you know, a new Disney Channel movie was always an event. And I mean, I'm sure it still is. I I couldn't tell you what the latest DCOM was. 
But yeah, it always felt like an event when a new Disney Channel original movie came on. And obviously, like Disney Channel always delivered on Halloween. Yeah, for me, too, this is kind of like a comfort movie. I don't watch it regularly. Like I watch it regularly, like every Halloween or so. But it just yeah, it just has this just Halloween. It just oozes Halloween and like and like my I I love horror movies. I love like things that like are scary and just like give you nightmares. But for me, when it comes to Halloween, I like things that are more like spooky and like, you know, like the more whimsical Halloween that this one just like completely excels at. I think whimsical is a really, really good word to summarize what Halloween Town does so well, because it does get dark. It does get scary, especially childhood me was terrified of Calabar, terrified of Helen when she becomes a monster. (laughs) And there's that random jump scare. Um, yeah, there are some scary moments, but in the end, it is whimsical. You have people that are very clearly just wearing masks, but they have like, you know, a little button down shirt on or like a little sundress. They're going to the market or they're going to the dentist. And that's funny. Like, that's cute, you know, and we don't really get a lot of that anymore. Yeah, honestly, like the um, most similar thing I think to Halloween Town is ironically another Halloween Town, just it's two words instead of one. But like, Nightmare Before Christmas, I mean, very different interpretations, but like, it's just like monsters living their life. Whereas in Nightmare Before Christmas, it's very much they are focused on scaring people and like creating Halloween, the holiday and Halloween Town's just like, yeah, they're just people. They just happen to be monsters, but they're just living their life going day to day. Let me think of Monsters, Inc. describing that because it is just monsters going to work, (laughs) going and doing things. But obviously Monsters, Inc. is completely different. That's true. I mean, it makes me like think like we don't really get Monsters Inc. You know, what do they think about Halloween? What is Halloween to them? That now? could have been such a good like Halloween special or something. Yeah, I mean, but they gave it to Toy Story instead. Oh rats! Oh well. So, um, kind of going off of um what you were just talking about, what is your personal history with Halloween Town? Like, did you watch? Do you remember if you watched it like when it premiered? Like, how did you discover this movie? I want to be cool and say I watched it during the premiere, but I probably didn't. I honestly think that I probably watched it when they were premiering it that year when I was three, because I feel like I watched it when I was very young. But, you know, Disney Channel, they probably played it a few times, reran it, try to give kids a chance to watch it before DVRs and like streaming was a thing. But I definitely watched it quite young and I was very impressionable. Like I you know, wanted to be the characters. I really was scared of Calabar. I really was scared of the monsters. Even some of the monsters just walking around, if they look scary enough, I was scared of them. But yeah, like I watched it in my elementary years for sure. I definitely watched it before kindergarten because I did have conversations with children in kindergarten about Halloween Town. Mm -hmm. So I'm estimating three to five years old was when I first watched Halloween Town. Okay, yeah. No, I mean, kind of same. Like, it's like, this is... I feel like, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, this is like the movie that's closest to the year I was born that that came out. And so like, it just, it's kind of like always there. Yeah, obviously I was two when this movie premiered, so I'm not going to like remember watching it, but I just remember always every Halloween watching it. I always liked Halloween. Like I came from a pretty big Halloween family. I mean, just really my mom, um, but she really went all in on Halloween, like decorations, costumes, trick-or-treating. And like, I like, obviously, as another impressionable child, very much that was imprinted on me. And every time, like, especially Disney Channel Halloween, I mean, obviously, you know, I love my, all my Halloween media, like it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown and scary godmother on Cartoon Network. But like always Disney Channel was like, my go-to for Halloween like I love their Halloween um TV special episodes like the That's a Raven Kim Possible Halloween episodes I was also a big Goosebumps kid as well like I really think it's cool like to create like horror I mean this isn't really horror but like to create like children's horror because like you do kind of have to be more creative with the horror you create when it's geared towards a younger audience so I still like kind of drawn more towards that like children's Halloween media just because they do I feel like there kind of is an extra layer of creativity to make it like scary for children without making it like scary scary oh yeah like I I'm genuinely like passionate about like these spooky like children's horror if you could call it that as a term it, it you're right it is a lot more creative because you can't just have like a slasher or something you have to have like this element of 
relating to what elementary school kids are going through, you know, like have something that scares them, whether it's a monster or, you know, the stresses of school or the stress of like bullying or family, like you always kind of mix some type of like childhood trauma into it without even realizing you're doing it. And it's obviously not like graphic, but it's, it's there in the story and it's there in the kids and their struggles. And there's just so many, like, I even think you mentioned under wraps. I did watch that before I reached kindergarten. That's like probably my second favorite decom because it's Classic. just so Halloweeny and so heartwarming and just so cute. I used to, I think that was one of the first films that made me cry. Cause I just Aww. loved the mummy and like his relationship mm-hmm. with his, you know, little mummy girlfriend. And mm-hmm. throughout the years, I always watched like, my brother and sister were maybe like 20 or not 20, like they were in their teen years and I was in elementary school. So then they introduced me to like Hocus Pocus, admittedly a little bit late, but like I watched Hocus Pocus and they showed me Casper and like, you know, the early 2000s, like late 90s children's horror and then a little bit of Gremlins here and there. And then even now, like, I still find myself watching, like, the children's horror that comes out. I really liked that movie, The Spiderway Chronicles, with that mm-hmm. little boy. He's in everything. I can't remember his name. But Freddie that was Highmore. Really... Yes, Freddie Highmore. That movie was, like, very spooky for kids and very intense. And then more recently, Eli Roth kind of nailed it with The House of the Clock and Its Walls. That was mm-hmm. spectacular. I love that movie. So just knowing that people understand that children can still be a little bit scared and a little bit spooked out. That makes me happy because that's something that Walt Disney believed in too. Like he believed that children could handle a lot more than parents think they can. And that's why he made Snow White really scary and Pinocchio really scary. I still watch Goosebumps, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Which admittedly like, you know, aren't the highest quality television out there. But I mean, even stuff like Over the Garden Wall on Cartoon Network, which is very Halloween, but also has a lot of frightening imagery. And that just came out like, I mean, it's like almost a decade old now, but I feel like because especially because you can't just rely on like the old like jump scares or like slashers or killings like they definitely rely more on atmosphere which is like always what I feel like I'm really drawn to is atmosphere more than anything yeah because I think about like if I've ever had like a horror movie marathon with my friends and like so like you know it's the week of Halloween what movies do you think will get us in this mood and they play obviously like some popular ones and some more obscure ones but like none of them have that like atmosphere like no pumpkins no jack-o'-lanterns no pumpkin patches no fog nothing with like a feeling in the air that like it's that time of year it's just kind of like oh my god we have to survive and it's like more on survival and like the adventure and the suspense and the fear rather than like you said the atmosphere the feeling of magic and whimsical fun and like going on an adventure and just feeling adventurous during a scary time of year, you know, it's just, oh, yeah. it's a very specific art that you have to nail and not everyone's always able to nail it. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, I always said like, as a kid, I always wanted to be in like my little like goosebumps adventure just so I can like be in that like scary atmospheric spooky thing. And like, you know, obviously like, you know, we're attracted to like the danger of it all. Like, you know, that they're going to be okay in the end, especially in like a kid's program, but there's still the danger of it that makes it like a little more enticing. Yeah. It's, it's like a comforting scare, you know, cause you mm-hmm. know that they're going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> but yep. when you watch it, it's just like, you know, it gets your heart racing and you just get happy and excited. kind of talk about like where this whole idea came from I learned a lot while doing research for this learning that Halloween Town wasn't even supposed to air on Disney Channel going to the history of Halloween Town um, the first idea for this movie can be traced back to um, executive Sherry Stinger and producer Steve White and Stinger was an executive at Walt Disney Television so there is a connection there already but um, she just moved to NBC where she did have a like I think it was like a six movie deal 
she was supposed to make movies with um white and his daughter came to him asking him where halloween monsters go and it's not halloween which immediately created the idea for halloween town and i'm that is an idea like we kind of have seen stuff like the number for christmas but i i couldn't get a time frame on this so i mean the number for christmas and halloween town are only like five six years apart so definitely not very far apart but yeah there is this idea to kind of create like a world where halloween monsters can kind of just go and live their lives when it's not halloween and because they had a deal with nbc they pitched it to that same network and nbc did buy the film and was going to release it as a primetime television film now as you know nbc and disney channel cater to two very different audiences and because of that, Halloween Town originally was intended to be a more horror-focused film with a much darker and scarier tone. And something that stood out to me was learning that there was going to be a whole section of Halloween Town set at night, which, I mean, you know, no Halloween Town, there's never a scene in this movie where it's not daytime, which, I mean, other movies kind of turn into nighttime in Halloween Town, but I think that's, like, actually, like, one of the most striking things about Halloween Town is that it's never nighttime there. It's always like daytime, which kind of makes it feel a little more safer, I feel. Yeah, it's like everything's bright and cheerful. And it's just like that. I don't have a word for it, but it's just like you expect it to be this terrifying place where monsters live. And it's like, oh, we're all just running some errands out Mm -hmm. in the sunshine. Yeah, it's very much like as they say in the movie, they expect the monsters to be one thing, but it turns out they're no, they're just normal people, monsters, they're just like us. However, NBC ultimately did pass on the project, leaving this film kind of in purgatory, but um, they did pitch it to Disney Channel, which as you know, we said, Stinger does have a history there, but Disney did reject it at first. However, after releasing Under Wraps, which was not only the first Halloween decom, was the first decom in general. And that was a big success for the company. So they're like, huh, okay, actually, you know, maybe we will do this Halloween Town thing. So they actually did pick up Halloween Town. And of course, because it was on Disney Channel, which I mean, Disney in general is a very family friendly company, as we all know, but Disney Channel specifically is targeted towards children and families. So they did have to retool the script to make it more family friendly, which took about two weeks. Um, However, the film did originally still have some darker moments and had a darker ending, which I mean, we still kind of get brief glimpses of dark tone moments in this film, but definitely not what it originally was. But, you know, we'll get back to that in a little bit. They signed on director Dwayne Dunham for the project, and he said when he was reading the script, just because it was so whimsical and ambitious and full of effects and otherworldly creatures, he was under the impression that this film would have like a 20, 30 million dollar budget, you know, like, you know, a respectable budget, you know, probably back then a little more expensive, especially for TV films, probably pretty pricey. Um, However... (laughs) The film's budget ended up being a nice four million, which I mean, if you watch the film, you can kind of, you can, it's not the, you see it, you know, you know, it's not a very high budget film. No, but I actually kind of think that kind of adds to like the surreal feeling to this film. Like they feel even more like Halloween monsters because they feel like people in Halloween costumes. Yeah, I actually do like the fact that this is a lower budget film. I just worry that like if they did have that huge $20 million budget, it could have just been, you know, too much. It Mm -hmm. just, they could have been a little too ambitious with the idea of Halloween Town and all the townspeople. I kind of like that we see the same townspeople over and over as well, Mm -hmm. even though what probably was a budget issue. (laughs) I think it just works so well with the budget in general. We're not going to talk about the sequels a ton here, but you kind of do get that with the sequels. Like you get more, they kind of get more and more ambitious with the scope of Halloween Town. And, you know, it sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. But I do feel like there's like this charm with how quaint everything feels in this film. Yes, I think they were really smart with even just how they frame some of the shots to make it seem like a larger area than it is and with more townspeople than there really are. You know, like sometimes there's just like five monsters in a scene, but it just you just in your head, it like fills in the rest. And you think that there's monsters down every road, walking down the sidewalks, driving cars like it's hustling and bustling. But they probably only had a select group of extras. 
Oh yeah, for sure. And speaking of Dwayne Dunham, let's talk about him for a little bit, which, because when I was looking him up, I was like, this guy has had a wild career to be directing this movie. Um, Pretty prolific director and editor, um, working very closely with George Lucas on the Star Wars and Indiana Jones series, which tying it back to this whole thesis of this show are now Disney properties. And he did act as editor on Return of the Jedi, the last film of the original trilogy. He also collaborated a lot with David Lynch, of all people, um, editing Blue Velvet, which if you've not seen it, is a crazy wild like disturbing movie also very instrumental in one of my favorite tv shows of all time twin peaks editing and directing a certain number of episodes and did edit all of twin peaks the return um however more directly related to this he's also a pretty regular director on some early disney channel original movies directing about five films including halloween town including the 13th year ready to run right on track and tiger cruise the movie about 9-11 9-11 with... in case you didn't remember there is a disney channel film about 9-11 it didn't come out in like 2004 i want to say it, yeah it came out a few years after but i remember even as a child being like is this okay <laughs> yeah uh it's it's I admittedly have not revisited Tiger Cruise, so I couldn't tell you what it even is like. Yeah, that is one of the few DCOMs I did not attach myself to and did not remember, but I can definitely see the similarities with the 13th year and right on track with Halloween Town. Like, I don't know, it just a very similar vibe. Like, I'm not surprised that he's involved with both of those films. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you about Right on Track. I have not seen it. And I don't know if I've ever seen it. Um, But the 13th year, definitely. I mean, obviously, both their main protagonists are 13. And they are people who think they're human, but start to be like, hey, you know, I've always had these weird things happen to me. And then turns out they're not human. It's like that magic, like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm not normal. Like I meant for something greater. Like, oh my gosh, my life is so magical and crazy. You know, that whole vibe of the film. Yeah. Although, I mean, the 13th year, it's admittedly like, if I remember correctly, he's not as like gung-ho about it as Marnie is about being a witch. He's kind of hesitant. He doesn't want to be a little mermaid boy. He wants to just be a swimmer, an athlete. I mean, I can, I understand because like, I mean, at least being a witch, you don't have to deal with any physical transformations for this. If you're becoming a mermaid, you literally like your body changes. Yeah. And his poor little girlfriend kept almost finding out and his parents almost found out and he's just trying to hide his secret the whole time. Is right on track the film with Frankie Muniz? No, that's Miracle in Lane 2. Oh no, sorry. I was not thinking about the right decom. Um, I'm looking right on track right now. It's um okay, so it's two girls in racing outfits. Oh, it's based on a true story who of two based on a true story about two sisters who come out on top of a man's sport. The story is based on Courtney and Erica Enders, two sisters who get into junior drag racing and make it all the way to the top. So basically it's like it's a girl power focused story about girls can do anything boys can do, I think. You know what? I did not like this film. <laughs> if it was that night's decom, I'd be like, okay, mom, I guess this is the one we're watching tonight. But it was not a favorite in the Baron's household. Wait, Ready to Run is a horse girl movie? Yes, it is. I'm surprised we don't get more like horse girl based Disney Channel movies. I feel like they're so easy to make. <laughs> a pretty wild career this guy has had. But I also feel like he's kind of is a perfect fit for this movie because I mean Twin Peaks especially like there's just this surreal quality to it that I mean obviously much more um mature and scary than Halloween Town but definitely I feel like there's there's some similarities there oh yeah like I I feel like there's one word that could encompass both Halloween Town and Twin Peaks but it's kind of jumping the ship right now it's like both of them are mystical, but in very different ways, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, definitely both Twin Peaks and Halloween Town kind of, they're both small towns that like very small Americana towns, but there's obviously very something like otherworldly about them. I mean, much more apparent in Halloween Town than it is Twin Peaks, but they both have like, it's like, you know, this like 
quintessential small town America, but there's like, there's, there's, a, there's an otherworldly element to it. And speaking of small town America, of course, this film pretty famously shot in St. Helens, Oregon, perfect Northwestern vibe. I mean, you know, I think personally, my, my biases are coming out, but I think the Northeast is, is the most Halloweeny of the United States, but the Northwest is still pretty Halloweeny in the fall time. But you know, even now this film goes all in on celebrating Halloween Town. Like every year, I don't know if they did it last year or if they're doing it this year. Um, they have a special fall festival that just celebrates Halloween Town. Um, cast from the movie have shown up at different festivals and they even bring out the giant pumpkin. Just seeing like that pumpkin in real life, I, I don't even want to think about what my reaction would be. I might just like drop to my knees and start crying because <laughs> it's like it's it's here. Like this is where people made a story that means so much to me. Mm-hmm. I think I could be I, I think I remember correctly. Like, one of my favorite YouTube I, I feel like I reference her pretty often, but like one of my favorite YouTubers, Jenny Nicholson, made like a just like a top 10 list of like her favorite Halloween films and she talked about visiting Halloween Town and I think at least that year there was like you get like a pizza party with Calabar oh (laughs) just the fact that the actors too aren't like ashamed of being in like what could be described as like a cheesy corny tv film but they embrace all the people that love their characters and their film that makes me so happy that they still go to these festivals even though I doubt any of them live in St. Helens Oregon you know like that that means a lot that's a good fan base you know at least some of them probably based in LA so it's not you know not too far of a drive yeah but yeah no I mean we're gonna talk about the cast a little bit in a little bit but um definitely like it seems like everyone really just loves this movie and this series and loves working on it which like I mean I feel like that just makes it feel even better to watch it oh of course yeah I mean I know that one of the actors like I think most of the actors got to take home many props and like Mm -hmm. little figures and costumes from the film so they got to have a lot of like keepsakes and they are all friends still in real life they still talk to each other and like appear in each other's little social media posts so Mm -hmm. it's just great it really could not be better and you know, speaking of filming, one thing that really jumped out at me was that they had a completely different ending envisioned for the film before we got the ending um, that we did get. Um, apparently, instead of putting the talisman in the giant pumpkin, she was to place the talisman in the middle of a forest. And one part of that involved Marnie rapidly aging the deeper she goes into the forest. And they intended on filming this so much that they made a mold of um, Kimberly J. Brown's head to make the old age masks. Um, of course, this ended up never actually making it to the final product, but Brown did get to keep the mold of her head at least. So no, another little keepsake, but that would have been um, uh, probably would have been a little too intense for the Disney I would have Channel been audience. So scared seeing Marnie turn old and like trying to race the clock to put the little talisman. Oh, I would have been freaking out as a child. Yeah. Like that's sc- like real life scary, like aging. Yeah. And if they use like those practical effects, like of mold and a mask and like prosthetics. Oh my God. I, yeah. I'm like imagining Kimberly J. Brown, like acting this out. And I just, that's too much. Just throw it in the pumpkin, please. I mean, we've seen what happens when Disney Channel actually makes a scary movie. Um, Don't Look Under the Bed basically got shunned for a good like decade. So, you know, maybe it's for the best because obviously Disney Channel has embraced Halloween Town instead of shunning it. Oh, yeah. Don't Look Under the Bed is one of my top three for sure, too. That that film got me into like hardcore horror at a very young age, probably too young of an age, honestly. <laughs> No, I like it because it's, it's like a Disney Channel movie with actual stakes. And oh, yeah. I I love that movie too, even though like it really does nothing to do with Halloween, but it's still so good. Yeah, like that's a film where like there's no real Halloween atmosphere, but it is still very Halloween-y and very scary. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, like something is coming over this little suburban town in high school and it's not nice and it's not kind. <laughs> Yeah, and then at I mean that whole sequence in the like imagination world, that's that's very Halloween. Absolutely. Like, oh, I mean, I don't want to go too much into it, but there are many scenes from that film that like 
kept me up at night. I could not sleep. I was terrified of dolls, jello, closets, my bed, like everything, <laughs> everything that's part of a daily life of an elementary schooler. I was terrified of because of that film. I haven't watched it yet this year, but I watched it last year. And like, they just used so many Dutch angles on this film, like to create that un- an unsettling atmosphere. And I'm just like, they really just go all in on these. They really want to make you just feel unsettled. And it's just, it's a wild movie. And I can't wait to do a podcast on that. If Halloween Town was genuinely scary, I don't know if it would be as good. If I'm really thinking about it, if it started out cute with Aggie in her house and like Halloween Town and then Calabar comes in and genuinely is trying to like kill people, I don't know if I'd like it as much. No, that is, yeah, that is part of why it endures today. Like it is a comforting film and like, you know, obviously as adults, we love nostalgia and especially the last year, like definitely we treated into our nostalgic urges. Yeah, I think that's why it endures. It's this comforting, like timeless I mean, it, in some ways it's timeless, in some ways it's aged, but I, I think, yeah, I think making it not scary has definitely allowed it to endure more. And if you do want scares, you can always watch Halloween Town 2, Calabar's Revenge. That, yeah, that whole ends, that sequence when the mom becomes like an egg legit monster, like scared me for the longest time. I had to close my eyes when she was at that costume party because it was uh-huh. so scary to me. I had to like walk away like when I was younger, like and because I knew it was coming. I walked away when she put the mask on. I'm like, oh, no. I would cry when Calabar's son's face would pop up on like uh, walls and stuff yes. because I was convinced he'd pop up in my shower, in my bedroom. I thought a face would come out of my wall. So then guess what I was scared of my whole life? Walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And we're surrounded by them. It, that movie was just evil, but I love it. Like it helped me to transition into more adult horror films. No, for sure. <laughs> By getting those first few scares in at a very young age. Yeah, I, again, save that for the Halloween Town 2 podcast next year, I guess. Um, But I genuinely, like, there's so much to talk about there. It's so, like, really cool how they go from this, like, comforting, wholesome film that just, like, it feels like a big fall hug. And its sequel is just, like, we'll rip all of that away from you and you are not safe here in Halloween Town. There are stakes. We are adults now. It's time to fight crime. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. what I get from Halloween Town 2. And you know what? We love it. It's nice to do something different for a sequel, I guess. Yeah. Time to talk about the cast. And much like most of the early Disney Channel films, this cast is made up of relative unknowns, save for like a few glaring exceptions. Um, Nowadays, it's basically like, you know, like a Disney Channel original movie stars, like whoever starring in one of their TV shows or is signed to like their record label. The first like major Disney Channel star like Hilary Duff wouldn't even come on the scene for another couple of years. So a lot of just relative unknowns. But of course, the first actor we talk about, not an unknown by any means, um, Debbie Reynolds as Aggie Cromwell, Hollywood legend, probably best known outside of this for her role in Singing in the Rain. But she is an Oscar, Tony and Emmy nominee. And like she's been around for decades by the time she joined this film. Um, at this time, she was getting into more television work, making appearances in a bunch of TV shows and TV films. It was known that she was interested in doing more television. So that's kind of how they managed to get her for this, like, kind of iconic that they got, like, this literal Hollywood legend for some, like, $4 million budget TV film on a kid's network. I don't know how they were able to snag an absolute icon But Disney did it, and I can't imagine anyone else playing her because she's not just, like, a cute, wholesome, wise old lady. Just her acting is so good in this movie. And she, I'm sorry, but she's levels above all the other actors. (laughs) Like, every time, I noticed that specifically this time watching it, every single interaction she has with other people, I wouldn't be shocked if it was their first time acting on screen. And she's just eating up her lines, her mannerisms, her hand movements, like... She's so good at delivering any type of dialogue. Just, oh my God, I love Debbie Reynolds so much. And fun fact, Singing in the Rain is probably my favorite film of all time. And it was when I was in elementary school too. And I did not make the connection that Miss Aggie Cromwell was also Debbie Reynolds from Singing in the Rain until I was maybe like 10, nine or 10. And I was like in denial. I was like, no, 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 no. That's not the same person. I couldn't believe it. Like my two worlds collided. 
Yeah, no, I mean, she's the best part about this franchise, which is why, like, the fact that Return to Halloween Town, like, uses her, like, for one scene is, like, really tragic. Like, she is the best part about this movie. And you can tell she's just, we're going to talk about Debbie Reynolds more because, like, we want to just, like, appreciate her later. You can tell she's just having a blast in this movie as well. Oh, yeah. Like, she's having a great time. She's having fun. Yeah, I mean, kind of related to not making the connection. Um, I didn't know she was Carrie Fisher's mother for like the longest time until like way too late in my life. And that's how she kind of introduced herself on set as like, oh, I'm Princess Leia's mother, which is, I mean, obviously Star Wars was at that time, not quite the phenomenon it was because it was a couple decades and we were the year before the, the prequel trilogy, obviously referencing Carrie Fisher, also a Hollywood legend. Um, Unfortunately, Debbie Reynolds did pass away at the end of 2016, um, pretty tragically, only a day after Carrie Fisher's passing. But, you know, at least she will be remembered. I feel like especially for a specific generation of people, she will be remembered for this film specifically. Also in the cast is Kimberly J. Brown as Marnie Piper, only 13 at the time of being cast, but she was already acting pretty regularly and even got a daytime Emmy nomination for her role in the soap opera Guiding Light. Um, She would remain a Disney Channel regular for the next decade, starring in another decomp, Quince, and returning for most of the Halloween Town sequels. We'll, We'll get into a little bit of that later. Um, Also in the cast, Judith Hogue as Gwen, Joey Zimmerman as Dylan, and Emily Rosk as Sophie. And Halloween Town premiered on Disney Channel in October 17th, 1998, and has since become a regular feature in Disney Channel's annual Halloween programming block. Um, I don't know what they call it now. I know it as Monstober. I can tell you what it's called now. Hell (laughs) yeah, I miss that. Maybe they still call it that. I don't know. Maybe I'll like, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I don't have cable, but maybe I'll like touch turn on Disney Channel and see How about what it's it? I'll nowadays. turn on Disney Channel multiple times this fall and I will figure out what they're calling it now and what the children are getting to enjoy this Halloween. I don't I don't think I'm gonna check something because I don't think we're we haven't we haven't gotten a Halloween decom in quite some time. Um what the year was most... Girls versus Monster? Girl vs. Monster was 2012. Oh, why does that feel like yesterday? <laughs> and we also got this, we got Invisible Sister, which I've seen it. It takes place on Halloween, but it's literally nothing to do with Halloween. Oh, I've never even heard of this. Um, That was 2015. Okay. And, oh, well, they have the zombies movies, but they don't market that as a Halloween. Oh, wait, yeah. no, we're getting, we're getting an Under Wraps remake? This year? Oh, not me finding out about this on a podcast. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I'm gonna be that gatekeeper that's like not my under wraps. <laughs> it could be good, it could be good. It's just, I'm so, I don't even, I don't know, no comment. I mean, I hope people enjoy it. <laughs> also, this is a petition to get under wraps on Disney Plus. Why is it not on Disney Plus? I still remember when you canceled a free (laughs) trial of Disney Plus and you said, by the way, my roommate says that you should add under wraps to Disney Plus. I had to buy it last year to watch it. I will happily buy it to watch it. I did have a VHS of it that I found at Big Lots back when VHS was a thing. And I need to find a DVD of it somewhere at this point because I love and adore under wraps. Yes, I mean, it is on Amazon, I think. So you could just, or iTunes, you could just buy it. But yeah, put it on Disney Plus. Because I'm pretty sure they already said the new one is going on Disney Plus. So why not under wraps the 1997 Add the old ones that we could have a little under wraps marathon. Yes. But in addition to airing on Disney Channel, it also has since become a centerpiece program of Freeform's 31 Nights of Halloween, airing multiple times through October. And obviously Freeform has an older target audience than Disney Channel. So, you know, for those... For those younger millennials and older Gen Zers who don't want to watch Disney Channel, they have Freeform. The film's success led to Disney creating a whole franchise centered around the film, becoming one of the first ever DCOMs to receive a sequel, which is the already mentioned Halloween Town 2 Calabar's Revenge in 2001. It also got Halloween Town High in 2004 and returned to Halloween Town in 2006. And Halloween Town is currently the first and so far only DCOM to have more than two sequels. Um, so it's the only quadrilogy 
is that the word maybe in the decom canon um however um how return to halloween town is a controversial entry for fans due to its recasting of marnie but that is another can of worms that we cannot get into right now my one sentence reply to that is i adore sarah paxton and other roles but this is not my halloween town film i don't watch it (laughs) yeah there's a lot about that movie that makes me like this feels nothing like Halloween Town, even outside of Marnie. Oh, yeah. But again, a discussion for another time. Grandma, <laughs> <laughs> this is so totally cool. <laughs> well, there's a reason why witches don't drive minivans. <laughs> well, how does magic make it go? Magic is really very simple. All you have to do is want something and then let yourself have it. Now hang on tight. Let's see what this can do. All right. Yeah. So now that we got through that history of Halloween Town, time to talk about the film itself. And we kind of mentioned it a little earlier, but I feel like we do need to just give space to appreciate Debbie Reynolds and Aggie Cromwell in this movie because she like we said she by far is the best part about this movie she's wise without being the stereotypical old wise character which I really like she's sarcastic she's you know she's not afraid to get a little down and dirty be a little bad girl every now and then break some rules but still you know wise and helpful and friendly and warm reminds Mm -hmm. us about many of our grandmas I bet Yeah, like, she isn't like the old spinster type, like the kind of stereotype you might get from a character like this. I mean, ironically, it's probably like her daughter who is more kind of that character. And like, she clearly like, is loving doing this role like this. She is giving her all in this like, children's movie where she really had no right to. (laughs) She really didn't have to. She just went all in. She poured her heart and soul into this role. And it just, it shows. Like, she's just, uh, she just embodies the character so well. And, like, just is Aggie. Like, just transforms into her. And it's not like she's just playing herself either. Because I think some people could argue that, like, oh, Debbie Reynolds being Debbie Reynolds, but with a witch cloak on. And it's like, no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's, She's really embodying a different woman and just playing the character so well I mean like she's not always given the best dialogue but when she is she has like just a way of delivering it that is so human and real and fun she's just so good in this I could just praise her forever and I think something really important is that she gives the character a lot of heart and she gives the film a lot of heart because like you know she doesn't hate like her daughter like she like obviously loves her daughter and like but she just like is like you're you're just shunning this whole part of your life and by doing that you're shunning me as well and like she knows Marnie wants this and she like wants to like be like I want to help you and like she wants to kind of help her mom show that like this is what she wants like she's just trying to do best for everyone yeah she oh my gosh like she just is trying so hard to make sure that her granddaughter gets her training before the end of her 13th birthday. She visits every single Halloween, which is the only time she can visit. And she always gets the party started, as she says in the film, because these poor kids just want to be like other kids. They're not asking to be, you know, famous. They're not asking to be rich. They're not asking for something extraordinary. They're literally asking to go outside and go (laughs) trick-or-treating. That's yeah. it. That's literally all they want is to be normal because they love, I mean, all the kids want to have fun, but Marnie in particular loves weird, spooky things, which I can relate to. So she's like, this holiday's made for me and I can't even celebrate it. And Debbie Reynolds comes in as Aggie and just gives them just a little slice of Halloween with some decorations, some costumes, some candy, mm-hmm. a story, like just gives them something, you know, it, it's better than nothing. I kind of talked about this before we started recording, but like, I really do kind of wish we went into more of like the backstory as to like why the mom hates Halloween so much. Like they kind of touch on, obviously she wants her kids to be normal, but like, but why you can still live a normal life and still have magic. And like, how's letting your kids go trick or treating gonna, you know, well, my hypothesis based off of watching it last night and today is that, she was in love with Calabar, who is a warlock, 
broke up with him. We're never told why. She married a human man and said, okay, we're human now. We're going to have a human family. That is your heritage, is a human father who passed away, I'm assuming. Yes. Um, And by having these kids go out on Halloween when, you know, the veil between the underworld and here. The underworld. And I mean, that's like kind of the general thought about Halloween is that like the veil between the afterlife, the underworld, whatever, like spirits and ghosts and ghouls and monsters can come to earth during this one night a year when it's scary and spooky. And so she's nervous that her Mm -hmm. children are going to like accidentally discover that they can do something or they're going to make a discovery about witches being real or, you know, monsters being real. So she just thinks, okay, let's just, you know, through anxiety, she's like, let's just keep these kids sheltered to make sure that no accidents happen, no bad things happen. And yeah, it works for 13 years. Because <laughs> they make a quick reference of like, if I remember correctly, like about how her husband died on Halloween. So I kind of wish they kind of went more on that angle. Like that's yeah, why they can't it's celebrate not Halloween. Clear. And I kind of wish they just, even if it was just exposition heavy, I wish they kind of just said, you know, here's her first boyfriend um calabar this happened between them it ended here's her husband this is what happened with them you know he died on halloween because of this so now this happened like i wish there was some type of story that we could just latch on to and be like oh this is why this woman is damaged and now she's full of anxiety she's living mm-hmm. her you know post-traumatic life and it's yeah sad that the kids now are burdened with this yeah, but now it's a kids movie, so they probably just think it'll yeah. go over everyone's head. She's the stereotypical mean mom who was like, "You will not," <laughs> like you know. Yeah. Uh, so she could have had a better character, but with what we're given, I think the mom is very much a stereotype compared yes. to all the rest. Yeah, for sure. Because like, I feel like you know, just because she marries a human doesn't mean she has to be a human. Like you know, look at Wizards of Waverly Place, another Disney Channel property. For some reason, this mother hates using magic. So she just says, look, I don't use magic. This dad doesn't use magic, period. Like, I don't know. I wish they gave a little bit more into her mindset. But again, yes, this is a a children's movie that is an hour and a half. So I guess we don't have time to go into all that. Yeah. This is the film's depiction of magic. And I mean, this whole franchise depiction of magic is so like wonky and inconsistent. I kind of love it, though. Like, there's no consistency to this film. But I feel like that kind of adds to the charm of it. Yeah, you kind of think about it. And it's like, okay, so in terms of powers, right, the witches can in wait. My favorite quote from the film is when Aggie says, magic is really very simple. All you have to do is want something and let yourself have it. So in ways, witches can kind of manifest things happening. And that's how Mm -hmm. their magic transpires is saying, like, I want that man to be stopped from robbing that woman of her purse. So you just stare at him hope that it doesn't happen and then somehow magic finds a way of like tripping the man or like getting him tackled or something falls on him that's how I kind of infer the magic to happen is that like witches can kind of make anything happen just by their own free will but then we see that Sophie is Miss you know Carrie over here from (laughs) Stephen King's universe because she can you know she's a what's it called she is a teleporter what is the word for that she has telekinesis telekinesis that's the word i was trying to think of she has telekinesis because every time she has a temper tantrum everything flies off the shelf and when this you know dumb mom tells her that she can't have a cookie it just floats up to her so that's her power and then marnie's power is just her saying over and over remember how i always (laughs) say i have deja vu and she says it like five times i'm like well okay we get it you have deja vu but it's never really shown like she never really says wow i feel like i've seen this before other than the bus stop scene she does say that she feels like she's been there before but that doesn't really you know transform into a power of hers (laughs) so Mm -hmm. i'm not sure and then Mr. Dylan, all we see from him is that he has a little bit of electricity in his fingertips when he uh, kind of does a little meditation to end Calabar. So who knows? It's fine. And then like just that all goes away in like the second film where they just cast spells to make things happen. Yeah, because the adults in the first Halloween kind of tell, you know, like a riddle type spell where mm-hmm. it's rhyming and then they kind of cast out their hands and the magic comes out and they can pretty much attack you 
But then the children never learn that even in the sequels. They really just have the, you know, little silly riddle. The passive powers. Yeah, the passive powers. So it's like, okay, what are the powers here? Who knows? But they have powers. That's all you need to know, I guess. Yeah, and that you talk about like Sophie the Cook actually reminded me like one of the notes I wrote was like I find it really cool how like they show Sophie as the first one showcasing magic because obviously if you like you know based on what you can tell from the story like it's going to be like Marnie is the one who discovers but I kind of like how they showcase Sophie showing power so it'll be like yeah this is like everyone in the family has magic. Bro, I love Sophie. I love her so much. I think she's so underrated. Me and my mom always are like, she's so smart. She's so good at her spells. Like, Marnie kind of flops a lot in the first (laughs) film. And Sophie comes in to save the day over and over. Like, she just knows what to do. And she's such a good witch. Mm -hmm. That's why they sideline her in the subsequent movies. Because they know she outpowers her. We can't overshadow Marnie by her little sister. The gradual, like, sidelining of Sophie in the franchise is very fascinating. She's kind of like, you know, she's pretty important in the second one. She has a more active role in the second one, but, like, she's not really, like, as involved in, like, the main story. she's kind of just chilling in her room on the little skull phone. Does she even go to Halloween Town in Calabar's Revenge? At the end. Okay. See, that's been a while. I didn't watch that last year for some reason. But in Halloween Town High, she literally has like two scenes and she's just like sitting on the couch and she's not even in the fourth one. Oh my God. That poor actress. She deserved her own little spinoff, if anything. She doesn't have a Wikipedia article, so who knows? I wouldn't what she's mind up to. her being the star of Return to Halloween Town, if I'm being quite honest. If you're not going to have Marnie, anyways, just replace instead of replacing the actress but keeping the character, just have you know the little sister become the main witch. Well, who knows? If we ever get a Halloween Town five, maybe that's what will happen. You know, I'm so passionate about this franchise. I should just make sure I'm part of that crew. Work your way up the Disney Channel ladder and then greenlit Halloween Town 5. Oh, wait, what if we ever get a Halloween Town remake? Oh, I mean, if that's the case, I would want it to be darker. I'm just going to say it. Like, we have the comforting ones, so it might as well go the dark route for a Halloween Town remake. We should get a Halloween Town TV show. A Halloween Town TV show would be perfect. Honest to God, a Halloween Town series is what Disney Channel should have had. Like a spooky series, almost like, I mean, there's a lot of horror TV show out there. I feel like it could be a less scary version of like Tales from the Crypt or um, Twilight Zone of having a different story each episode based off of a different resident of Halloween Town. Mm-hmm. Maybe some episodes could be scarier and some episodes could be a little bit more lighthearted and mystical. But yeah, it could have happened. Okay, here's my pitch now. Uh, all these ideas coming together. The Halloween Town reboot is going to be a TV show on Disney Plus with a darker tone, but still have some of that fun. And it's about some witch so we can get that young adult demographic in. You say that, and I'm just picturing Chilling Adventures of Sabrina in my head. (laughs) But it's a Disney version of it. Yes, so like less Riverdale and more like... I feel like there's a lot of other horror shows that are like anthology series that I'm not remembering. Would you want it to be an anthology or would you want it to have like a main group of characters? I think an anthology could be fun, but I also think it could be a show with like a long-running storyline as well. Who knows? Who's to say? I support. Kind of the final point, I think. I do want to touch upon how the film creates a Halloween atmosphere. We've talked about all the other films we've done. And like this film, I feel like, I, I mean, all the films we've talked about kind of do have like this Halloween atmosphere to them but I feel like this one especially like I mean it's literally Halloween time like this film just like oozes Halloween and it's like more of like a comforting Halloween because there there is a danger to it but as opposed to the other films there's nothing out to scare you like we've and the other films we've talked about and like you know there's there's fall atmosphere everywhere there's a giant pumpkin and like like we talked about like how all the monsters are like they look like they're Halloween costume monsters. This very much feels like, you know, the ideal kids Halloween. Yeah, I think something that I wrote down is that Halloween Town does such a good job of making every single world, every single environment feel lived in. Because even mm-hmm. on Earth, I'll just reference, you know, their main <laughs> where they live in, you know, America as Earth. 
um, even the Halloween scenes just look so Halloweeny. Like that opening, like tracking shot of like going through the town where all these kids are trick or treating and having fun. Like a lot of media in general doesn't get that right. Like a lot of them either over decorate the houses or they under decorate the houses or like mm-hmm. there's too many people trick or treating. Like I don't know how to describe it, but it just looks fake and this looks yeah. very real. Like. And when Marnie and Dylan are running to the bus stop and they're running past all those Halloween decorations, like the hay bales, the little pumpkin string lights, the jack-o'-lanterns, like it, you can very clearly tell it is Halloween night. And like, there's a little bit of fog in there. It's just, it's so Halloween-y. I love it. Once they get to Halloween Town, obviously, just there's hay bales, there's the giant pumpkin, there's jack-o'-lanterns everywhere. There's the costumes of the monsters. The actual town itself, like City Hall looks otherworldly you know it doesn't look Mm -hmm. like just a normal city hall and like the I don't know how to describe it but like just every building like the movie theater the salon the broom shop like they look like those things but they just look otherworldly and like whimsical it's almost like Toontown but like spooky edition (laughs) honestly Toontown is like kind of a perfect analogy for this because it, it kind of is like another world for like other creatures that's like kind like of you hidden see something like a police station and you know it's a police station because it's like you know blue and stuff but it's not shaped like a normal like modern building in our world it's it's otherworldly yeah. and it's mystical and whimsy and fun they do a really good job of just making every single scene feel Halloweeny, especially Aggie's house. Oh my lord. Aggie's house, when they pull up in that cab mm-hmm. and there's like the raw iron gates and like the house like the color of the house and the doors and her kitchen and her decor. Like I don't know how to describe it, but it's just not it's not too much. It's not too minimal. Yeah. It's like the perfect in between. No, for sure. It's definitely a house of a witch who's lived for like hundreds of years. Like, bravo to, like, the set dressers and the set designers because they just did so good. Like, there's so many films and shows I watch where it's like, oh, it's Halloween night. And it's like, you know, they just threw in some pumpkins, threw in some (laughs) trick-or-treaters, you know, put on some fog machines. And, like, yeah, I obviously still enjoy it because I'm that obsessed. But, like, Halloween Town, it nails it. It nails every scene. It, the atmosphere and the mood, it's just like, it's that childhood feeling of like something's in the air. Like it's that time of year. It's Halloween yeah. time. This film uses a lot of like warm tones too. And like, it's like just town design, which obviously creates more of a fall Halloween atmosphere just inherently too. Yes, actually that's really true. Cause I was watching some Halloween town edits this morning to get me hyped up. They're all like all the filters that these editors used for their Halloween town edits were like warm in color uh-huh. and like, that's what the film does too obviously not to like an instagram level or a tiktok level but like you're right like every single color like there's hay bales everywhere there's you know autumn leaves blowing on the ground and when the cab driver drives by autumn leaves kind of you know get blown away like it's just every detail is like perfection and on a four million dollar budget perfection it's it's that saint helen's oregon magic for you just they did a really good job like I just everything like even the parts where maybe there's not like Halloween decor everywhere like just the cityscape it just doesn't look like our world they just did such a good job the gymnasium that they go into like that (laughs) sauna what is that it just it doesn't look like a sauna that you would see in modern days it's like an old-fashioned one that never got restored to modern times with like the sweat box and everything yeah the old sweat box and like the snot monsters going to the pool and like they're doing their little aerobics up on that wooden floor and they're playing basketball like I don't know it just doesn't look like a typical health YMCA fitness center from 2020 it looks very like retro even in the 90s Honestly, I do think that played a lot into a lot of the otherworldliness is that they just kind of went for like a retro time frame and like Mm -hmm. era. Yeah, I mean, and also going back to old Twin Peaks thing, that's part of why Twin Peaks feels so like surreal and out of time because it has that retro aesthetic. Also, same with another thing recently mentioned, like Riverdale and Chilling Adventure Sabrina. They have those retro 50s, 60s aesthetic that makes it feel out of time and like out of otherworldly. Like even the dentist scene, you go to a dentist right now, it's going to be like shades of like neutral brown and like earth tones Mm -hmm. and like, you know, like dark brown, dark green, white, off white. 
this dentist with the little vampire lady getting her fang pulled out. It's like neon green, like a 50s dentist mm-hmm. <laughs> office. It has a very comforting Halloween aesthetic. And like, yes, like when we think of Halloween, we think of like scary monsters, spooking, jumping out at you, getting scared. And I love all that. But there is for me, like, I love this, like something that's like, you know, it just like with like the fall leaves blowing in the wind and you're drinking like warm apple cider and eating a cider donut. And that's what Halloween Town feels like. Halloween Town, honest to God, feels like I lived there in a past life. Like that's how well they created this entire universe like it mm-hmm. feels like oh my god like it feels like I'm having deja vu like I grew up with this little town yeah watching it in a film and it feels like I know this place and I know these people yeah and the fact that like I think the fact that it is just so mundane really just adds to the charm like it, it's just a suburb that has monsters in it and the monsters themselves are just so like they're just so full of character like I said that vampire who's getting her fang pulled out and then before that like the little scene the little transition scene into the dentist um there's like a pumpkin head boy with like a little bandage around his jaw and he's like holding his jaw like he's in pain Mm -hmm. and his dad is like comforting him as they walk into the dentist office and then you have like that pin lady in the mm-hmm. city hall. I don't know what kind of a monster is just like a pin cushion, but she's mm-hmm. like anxiety ridden pin cushion. And then you have Helen, the witch with like a Scottish accent and you have yeah. uh, Luke, the little goblin and you have, you know, just there's a girl who's like a blonde white girl who's a fairy and you have the skeleton driver, like just the monsters themselves and their lines and their line delivery makes this feel like a lived in place. The yeah. two headed bus driver um bus stop attendants yeah the hairdresser that's a werewolf the guy who sounds like Elvis who sells the brooms yeah there's definitely a lot of charm and character and I feel like that's like kind of you know Halloween Town High like obviously they have a probably a bigger budget for like their Halloween designs but I feel like there's kind of a charm missing because like it's more special effects and practical effects stuff and it's like there's just something charming with how like low budget all these monsters look like it looks like yeah like I said it looks like just a town full of people dressed up for Halloween it really does but it just it's comforting I don't know I don't I will admit some of the special effects do look a lot better in like the sequels especially Halloween Town High just because they have that scary scene with like the Halloween carnival and like all the monsters coming out but like I don't know it just it doesn't do it for me yeah no it's like something like the vampire getting her Bang pulled out and like you that you see just like a clearly painted black tooth to create the illusion <laughs> that makes me laugh every time I saw that like when I was an adult like I think I was like 21 when I first saw her tooth and I was like oh <laughs> yeah but it doesn't just... ruin the film for me by any means or no. the scene or make her look like less of a vampire and I can't even describe why it just does you know again it just adds to that like kind of like otherworldly surreal quality this film just has yeah, and it's sad because you know so many young people are gonna watch Halloween Town and be like, "This is so cheap. It's so terrible. It's like the worst movie I've ever seen. It's so low budget. It's just people with masks on." And I'm like, "You don't get it." That's why you watch <laughs> you it. Start young. them out young. They hear it every year, so I'm sure they're watching it. about does it for this week's episode thank you so much for coming and talking about halloween town derek um any final thoughts plugs anything before you go plugs well if you enjoy anything relating to horror films i do write horror film reviews on my instagram account which is at derek the demon just exactly how it sounds um i just love horror movies throughout the year but i get to really express my love for them more in the fall months because there's more released and there's just more hype so I can talk about it more and not seem like 
hyper obsessed. So yeah, you can follow me there. Other than that, I freaking love Halloween Town. I plan on getting a Halloween Town tattoo or two. I probably shouldn't say them just so that no one steals my ideas. <laughs> I haven't seen anyone with a Halloween Town tattoo, but my dedication is that deep. I just love these films, adore them. Adore decoms in general, adore horror in general, but this one is where all the elements just combine perfectly. So I love it. Your horror Instagram is 10 out of 10. Follow it. Highly recommend you follow it. And oh, thank you so much. It's a labor of love. I wish I could watch the amount of horror films you do. I had a time in my life where I would watch one horror film a day. <laughs> that, I, mean... I wish I could get back to that. In Halloween, that's kind of how I do it. In October, I try to watch like at least one horror slash spooky slash Halloween thing a day to get really get in the mood. I might actually try that this year, despite it being a rough year work-wise. I think I will. I think I'm going to try and make Halloween 2021 a good one. We will. It will be a good one. I mean, we've got Not Scary Farm and Halloween Horror Nights coming up. Well, at least definitely the former, hopefully the latter. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> But yes, if you want to follow the show, we are on, we are at Disney Vault Cast on all the social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, etc. I am at Aiden Simons on Twitter if you want to follow me there. Um, I'm also at Twitch at Aiden underscore plays games. Um, please rate us five stars on iTunes or else the boogeyman will get you, I guess. And I will see you next time. Bye. Bye.